This is Business of Home. I'm your host, Dennis Scully. Every week, I'll be talking to leaders and innovators from all corners of the home industry. My guest this week is Amra Tareen, the founder of All3D, a new startup that aims to bring affordable 3D modeling to the design world. Amra's background straddles the line between technology and home. She helped build e-design platform Decorist and acted as the head of innovation at Bed Bath & Beyond, two experiences that convinced her of the transformative power of digital renderings. We talked about why she believes photography is on the verge of disruption, why an improvement to the iPhone will change everything, and whether artificial intelligence can replace interior designers. This podcast is brought to you by Resource Furniture, the original and largest source of luxury, multifunctional, and space-saving furniture in North America. For more than 20 years, designers, architects, and savvy consumers have looked to Resource to add form, function, and quality to every space, large or small, residential or commercial. Remote working and learning are here to stay, so create the flexible, functional, and comfortable home everyone needs right now with Italian wall-made beds, transforming tables, innovative storage solutions, and more. Visit resourcefurniture.com forward slash work from home to learn how. This podcast is also sponsored by Universal Furniture. Designers already rely on Universal's incredible selection. Now they can take advantage of an all-new special upholstery program. It's bench-made upholstery, crafted in North Carolina, available in just six to eight weeks. With more than 400 fabrics, 50 leathers, and 200 frames, the creative possibilities are limitless. And online tools allow you to create visualizations to share with clients. As always, designers receive special perks working with Universal. There's no order minimum, free shipping, online ordering, and dedicated custom support through the design line. Save 20% off your first order of $2,000 or more by using the code TRADEFALL20. That's TRADEFALL20 at universalfurniture.com. And now, on with the show. Amra, I've, I've seen you described as a technology evangelist. And I thought, really, who better to come and answer all of our many questions? So, we're going to talk about the company that you're in the process of launching that specializes in 3D modeling, and there's all sorts of futuristic stuff that I want to get to, as you well know. But for listeners who might be new to all of this technology, I, I thought we could start by really breaking it down to the to the core and hoping that you can give us sort of a, a simple definition of what a 3D model is and and why they matter. Great. Thanks, Dennis, for having me. Um, a 3D model is a physical representation of products in our real world. So as you know, we just launched with Skyline. Um, they manufacture sofas and chairs and, and countertop uh, chairs and bar stools. So when they manufacture their product, they develop a CAD model and, um, you know, which tells them how to manufacture it. And they then develop a physical sample of the product. And that physical sample is then photographed um, it's then they sell it to their retail customers showing the photographs. They come and look at the swatches. So a 3D model is as accurate representation of that physical product itself. And usually a 3D model consists of what we call mesh or geometry, which is nothing more than little polygons made up of uh, uh, triangles. So it just represents the, the dimensions, the physical elements. And then there's textures on a 3D model that represents the material, whether it's wood, fabric, um, chrome, you know, you name it. So a 3D model is nothing but a, a digital version of a physical product. And it could also be a 3D model of a space, a room or a house. Um, and that is also a, a representation of a space. So in, in terms of who's using 3D modeling in the, in the home space these days, mm -hmm. give, me, give me a sense of... Of, of who's using this tool and, and sort of what they're using it for? So in the home space, um, the companies that use 3D modeling, IKEA was one of the biggest 
early adopters of 3D modeling. They started 3D modeling in 2004. And even their catalogs are actually 3D rendering, which is taking a 3D product model um, and then taking a, a virtual photograph to convert it into a photograph, which is a, a called a 3D rendering, which is um, the 2D representation of a 3D model. So IKEA started really early on in this game. Um, and a, another uh, retailer that use uh, 3D modeling very heavily is Wayfair. Um, they are working with their vendors and suppliers to create 3D modeling um, and then use the 3D models to um, have, you know, still photos on their website, which could be the product still of photos or could also be um you know, a rendering of a lifestyle imagery where those products are put in an environment so people can see how those products are used. So I want to I want to talk about both both sides of that, but sticking with the this this notion that three D renderings in in some way I gather can replace photo shoots and and photography. You mentioned companies using them for their catalogs and Mm -hmm. uh, companies using them as a... Tell me a little bit more about that, about that process and, and what does it what does it make easier or or more cost efficient than perhaps a, a standard photo shoot as we might think about it? Whether you're a small brand, you know, with 60 SKUs, or you are a big retailer who sells, you know, hundreds and thousands of SKUs, um, you need photography in order to sell online. Um, As you know, the color and how the imagery uh, represents an item is also very important because if it's not the right color, it doesn't look like the right material, the right dimensions, then consumers will return that product if they are online shopping. So the return rates have to be higher. But before they can take photographs, they actually have to produce a physical sample of the product. So let's imagine if you're selling a chair with multiple different materials and different, um, you know, uh, leg types and leg colors and leg materials. So you would have to, to photograph that. You will have to create all possible different variations of that chair. You need a physical sample. Um, so then once they have the sample, they have to put it in the right environment, the right lighting. They have to hire a photographer. Um, I've heard of a photo shoot just for a few products for a day cost about 10000 dollars to produce photos. And then remember, there may be lots of photos that are taken, but there are a certain number that are reusable that you end up using. So it becomes a very costly, expensive um, effort for a brand to do that. Now, with a big retailer, they would have to, you know, they have multiple vendors' products. They would either rent a location, a house somewhere, or they would build a studio. Then all the products need to be shipped to that studio. Then you need a crew to unpack all those products. Then you need a styler and designer to to design the space with those products. If the products <laughs> don't fit or you don't have the right products, you wait till the next shipment arrives from all your suppliers. And then you, you actually create a whole scene. And then you get a photographer to photograph it. Then the photographer does Photoshop. So all that effort could be hundreds of thousands of dollars. Now, let's imagine your product doesn't sell or it goes out of stock. You can't change a photograph. But now imagine a space or a time where you can 3D model all your products. You can 3D model all the physical spaces, studios, or rooms. You have it on your computer. Um, You have a piece of software that lets you design the space with the products. And then with the one click, you have a virtual camera that is placed in that in that scene, and then you can render and create images um, using a cloud services platform, and then you have those images. Now you have all those products in your product library. You have all those studios in your product library. Let's imagine one or two products go out of stock. You just 3D model those extra products, and you can use them in those scenes and create imagery. Your cost of incremental cost of producing that um, actual photography or website, uh, you know, catalog piece, or goes down in time. And so you have all this rich content that's immersive and beautiful that you can not only use on your website, but also in marketing platforms like Instagram and Facebook, where imagery drives traffic to your website. So there are so many benefits of creating the 3D model at the get-go and then having your library of, of assets of your products, your environments, your props, your decorative items that you leverage over and over. So your incremental cost of that content reduces over time, which is not the case in case of a traditional photo shoot. Um, Because when it's done, that content becomes obsolete. You can change colors in Photoshop, but you can't really change a product uh, 
or, or you know, uh, the environment if it goes out of stock. So that's the benefit of using 3D modeling and 3D rendering that exists today. You mentioned you mentioned some some big retailers, IKEA, mm-hmm. Wayfair, uh, others, and I and I think often the perception among smaller trade companies, companies yes. that are selling primarily to designers. What was th- this perception that it, that it was too expensive a, a tool? It was it was cost prohibitive somehow, but you don't feel that way. And 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 part of what you're trying to 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 do is sort of dispel that notion with the company that you've started. Yes, that's tell me that's tell me about your thinking. Yeah. So. Um, as you know, I was the head of innovation of Bed Bath & Beyond, and prior to that, I was a decorist. So a lot of my learnings came through why 3D modeling is so expensive. And I think that's the, the question. You know, when it's when you have fragmented small digital agencies all across the world with 3D artists creating the 3D models, it's it's a lot of it's still a lot of craft, and people charge a lot for a 3D model. Um, and so so that's why. Sp- you know, uh, designers or uh, to the trade or small brands may think that 3D modeling is expensive. But with new technology and new standards coming from Apple and Google, the cost of 3D modeling is going to um, decline at a very fast rate. And even my company today offers disruptive pricing to create a 3D model. On average, you know, it costs about $35 to create a model in the market can go as high as 3000 to all over. So there's a lot of variability on in 3D modeling itself. And we're trying to standardize based on new standards and using technology to create low cost 3D models. And my goal is to be able to provide the 3D technology to the designers, to the trade, to brands of all kinds. So they start using it and they can see the benefits of it. So I think 3D modeling has been expensive over time, but thanks to changes in technology, it changing in, you know, the fact you can do that in cloud services, um, you know, you can spin up servers as you get more customers, has brought the cost of 3D modeling itself down, and it's further going to bring it down uh, thanks to Apple's uh, launch of the LiDAR depth sensor in iPhone 12, which is going to happen at the end of October, November. So, that will come down, and I think 3D modeling will become an industry standard in the home, whether you are furniture manufacturer, appliance manufacturer. Um, it, it, and I, and the, the beautiful thing about this is that being in the home industry for the last five years, that I think home is leading category of 3D modeling. Apparel becomes very hard, but there, there's all different types of people trying to disrupt pricing of this whole digitization of physical objects and spaces. That's what's going on today. Well, you, you you just recently were working on this project with Skyline, for example, yes. right? So so tell me a little bit about that project and 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 what you what you did and and what you were able to make possible as they decided that they couldn't attend trade shows, right? So uh, I've known Skyline uh, for a very long time, and Megan, who's the the president, um, they were a, a supplier to Bed Bath and One Kings Lane. So we had worked on customizing uh, their product. So, you know, they would have a 3D model of a, of a sofa and then we would change the fabric and create hundreds of thousands of different permutations for them and with imagery on the website so people could customize. So in this case, I had started my company, All3D, and then I, I needed to get some initial customer traction. So I reached out to Skyline and I showed them what, you know, the ability to create model of spaces, ability to create product models, and then uh, letting them decide which products go in what space in a room, and then giving them a web-based tool to do the design of uh, in 2D and 3D, how to move objects around in a room, and then one click, create a, f- a photograph, a lifestyle image, or a 3D tour. And um, the platform that I have, we can actually do apartments and houses on our web-based tool. And when Skyline saw this, immediately said, oh, my biggest problem is we can't go to Las Vegas trade shows, but since you can do it, let's think of a way of actually doing a virtual showroom. So then Megan from Skyline decided that she was going to create four 
four different apartments, you know, uh, and, and, you know, she's the creative one who came up with farmhouse, boho, deco glam, reminds me of my time at Deckard. <laughs> <laughs> if you asked me what goes where, I wouldn't be able to tell you. <laughs> so, I'm not that creative. So, so, so she used our platform and our, our platform is very interesting because we use different ways of ingesting content to create 3D models. So she uploaded inspirational images for all these four spaces, a floor plan of two bedrooms and, you know, kitchen, dining, what it would look like, what the paint should look like, what the flooring should look like. And of course it wasn't scanned. So, you know, we, 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 she submitted, we gave it, we have a whole assignment desk where we have a bunch of 3D artists who take the work and then they, they create it, they upload, then we have automatic QA in our pipeline that checks for dimensions, colors, images, and so once it was done, it was then given back to, you know, Megan and her team got an email saying, your your space is ready. And then they reviewed it in 360 and it went back, it came. So within two days, we created one of those units for, for Megan. That's how she created. And actually, um, she never created a physical product. She had just changed the textures in the 3D model of her couches. And then she had actually designed those furniture fabrics for these type of, you know, these spaces, like she wanted to do a deco glam, farmhouse, preppy. And so she's been having meetings with some of her retail partners. And I know one large one just bought the whole shebang, you know, all her products, which she doesn't even have a physical sample. So just based on all the 3D renderings. All the the 3D rendering and the 3D tour and her storyline. And, you know, she sent them masks from the fabric of the couches so they could feel the fabric. And, and, and some of her photos are actually going, some of the photos that she created all, all 3D, she was telling me it's going to go on the Wayfair website or some other Target or whoever. But, but that's the assets that she actually created on all 3D as a replacement for actually shipping all her products, not having all the, phys- not beautiful spaces, but a boot space, having a few props to all these inspirational, beautiful rooms and houses. Well, and, and is it at all a, a, a challenge for, for Megan at Skyline for- for example, now to have to be able to produce the the, the furniture that that I- exactly looks like the the renderings that, that you've created because you've created all sorts of things to your point that didn't didn't really exist, right? But remember, she uh, so the thing about Skyline is they usually have the frame, so they use different fabrics and different legs and all that. Right. So I think so all the structure is the already there. Yes, and yeah. now she knows okay. she already has demand for it before she even is going to put that thing together. We're taking a quick break to remind you to register for the Resource Furniture Designer Resource Program. As a committed partner to the trade for more than 20 years, the highly experienced staff in each of their eight showrooms across North America brings a wealth of space-saving expertise to each and every project. Registered members of the Designer Resource Program enjoy benefits such as special discounts on their one-of-a-kind product collection, a dedicated project manager, rendering services, a referral program with accumulating rewards, and more. Visit resourcefurniture.com forward slash resource trade program and register today. And now, back to the show. You, you mentioned about your, your time as the head of innovation at Bed Bath & Beyond and your time with Decorist, and I, I, I want to I get into that more deeply. Mm-hmm. Tell me how you first came to, to, to – how did you join our quaint little home industry, Amra? <laughs> being, the, being the technology sophisticate that you are, how did you, how did you come to our industry? Uh, so the, the, the founder of Decorist was a friend of mine. We went to Harvard Business School together, so she needed help. Help. And I had sold my my company in digital media at the time, so I I wasn't doing anything at that point. So she asked me to help her with Decorist, and I I helped her initially to build her first prototype, and then I went to do do something else. And then she, I later two three two years into Decorist formation, or three years, she she and I ran um, into each other, and she said, "Hey, I need help with products." So I joined Decorist as a chief product officer. Um, and it was very interesting because 
it was Decorous had a platform and the, you know, designers um, and customers. And so when I joined Decorous, I started looking at it and um, I was very intrigued by this 3D stuff and 3D rendering. And um, Dennis, you wouldn't believe And, and this. remind listeners, remind listeners what Decorous was trying to do at the time and, and what it was. Yeah, so Decorous was... Uh, trying to get launched or had launched design services to the end consumer to uh, to customers. So it was a business to consumer company. Um, a customer would right. upload four photos of their room, um, and then Decorous would match them with a designer. We had a marketplace of designers, and then the designers would would work with the customer and recommend products and do a design using a two D tool. And um, using, you know, uh, furniture from Pottery Barn, West Elm, all the retailers that are out there. And then the customer could buy um, the new furniture items through Decorist. And so when I joined, I was very intrigued by this whole concept of augmented reality and virtual reality. And I wanted to, um, uh, you know, dabble into this whole 3D rendering stuff. And you, it's it's so funny, we put an ad on Craigslist to... um, to get to hire a 3D modeler. Um, the first 3D modeler we hired was actually a person who had worked at Modsy. <laughs> so, <laughs> Is that right? Yeah, that was it. So so the modeler uh, came and, and um, Decorous was doing um, this photo shoot at a celebrity's home. So, you know, we had the floor plan of her room. Um, so I asked this guy to 3D model the space and then we knew the furniture. So we took information from um, the website of all these furniture retailers and we 3D modeled and and then that person rendered the whole room using 3D Studio Max and he rendered using V-Ray uh, software that we had bought this guy and created an image. And when we when I saw this, I was blown away that how uh, real it looked. And immediately I was like, this is amazing. So we did a quick test on Decorist, offering the, the 3D rendering as a feature. And we saw increase in conversion, the satisfaction rate when the customer saw the actual image of their their room with new furniture. And we also saw the increase in conversion rate of how much furniture they would purchase. So we became immediately a believer that that uh, the, the way to selling furniture, uh, the customer had to see the, in actual dimensions in their room, what their room could become and how these new items would look like. So, so from then, that point onward, you know, I, I spent a lot of my time figuring this whole space out. And then when Bed Bath acquired, um, I became the head of innovation and the whole thing was experiential retail. Um, how do we create and build the largest database of 3D models? How do we bring the price down? Um, then what are well, the and other I know, applications? I, yes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I know that you've said that it really had a dramatic I- impact in the level of, of sales. I mean, the, right? Yes, what was it the, did at Decorous. What, what yes. was the sales increase that you that you found when you yes. when you incorporated yeah, the these, sales these 3D? increased, and not only that, the card size increased because then they saw a collection of products put together in their own room. They would buy. They wanted to achieve that in their home. You know what I mean? Because this was all yeah. virtual, but it looked so photorealistic. So the card size went up. Then the conversion to buy from Decorist also went up. So I, I'm sorry, you were starting to say that you uh, became the the, the the innovation head. Yes. Which again, no snickering from listeners. There there was a huge innovation department at Bed Bath and Beyond. We just we just never knew all that you were doing. <laughs> well, it wasn't huge because innovation <laughs> happens as you know, skunk works. So <laughs> it's never huge so, because you always start by a small team of people and you test and learn and, you know, you create prototypes and you learn. So the, the interesting thing about being at Bed Bath was I got to, I got to see all the people that were doing renderings. I got to meet with people and their offerings, um, found out about, you know, all the vendors that were selling to Bed Bath were very interested. I, I got to talk to them about their problems with photography and 3D modeling. So I, I got a really good view of the whole um, ecosystem of 3D modeling, the people that were out there, the products that were being offered. And then, of course, Modsy, you know, since it was 
a competitor to Decorist uh, in the sense that it was off- offering design services to the end consumer. So I got to see that whole thing. And and so I never considered, and even I still don't consider Modsy as a competitor to All3D, which is my new startup. But but I did learn a lot from them as well. And, uh, you know, the first 3D modeler that joined our team was from Modsy. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and, and Modsy is a very impressive uh, company, as you and I yes. have, have discussed. I mean, uh, Shauna Tellerman uh, is, a, is a very impressive founder and, and CEO, and, and they're their technology, uh, as you say, once once you really see it in action, you you, you can imagine yes. that that people are, are are much more compelled to 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 buy items or, or or to put items in 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 the cart, as you say. Last year's Future of Home conference that we held, we we had a member of the Modsy team speak, and it was unsettling to some designers in the audience because they thought, oh my goodness, this is this is a tool that that could certainly uh, help to to replace designers in in the future but but I know that you don't feel that way necessarily no actually one of our um, as as we're a b2b um, business one of our customers are designers because I want to enable not just Modsy's just enabling their designers I want to enable all the designers out there to use the tool because at the how they do the design is their skill set and how they put different things together to achieve um you know, the end result or making their customer really happy is is a design skill. It's putting things together. So I want to give them the tool to be able to create that beautiful aha moment where a customer sees, you know, how beautiful their space can look like. And I think that skill set to design and put things together, you know, machine learning will get there. But but I think <laughs> designers are the ones that that have that skill set. Well, and in in terms of trying to put a timeline yes. around all of this, so you've you've mentioned repeatedly that a key next step is going to be the upcoming release of the next Apple iPhone, mm-hmm. and and that we're all told apparently all these leaked plans of this phone right <laughs> seem to suggest very strongly that it will have a lidar detector yes. on the on the phone and and explain for people just sort of in layman's terms what that what that means and what that will make possible as you know with the iPhone when we put the camera in it people started taking photographs and you know how photography works there's an there's a sensor in the in in the phone itself that takes the 3D represented world and converts it into a 2D with what Apple is about to launch in the iPhone, and they just they did in March in their iPad, is they're going to put a, what we call a depth sensor or lidar technology, and what it does is it's it sends out light beams and then it returns it back, and so it measures the distance. So instead of just giving you a pixel, you know, color based two D dimension, it actually tells you how far and um, the object is. So it gives you not only the color information but also the depth information. So what we have in our application is we take all those depth information, color information of each point, and then in the cloud, we try to reconstruct a 3D object, which is the the representation of the physical object is. And so that's what Apple is launching, is they are going to put that camera into that, that depth sensor LiDAR into the iPhone. So far, scanning has been outside of the cell phone. It's been you have another handheld device that you need scanning. But with when it happens in the iPhone, we're going to see the digitization of our physical world in the sense that every person who's going to have an iPhone 12 is going to have those capabilities. We do have depth sensing ability today in the iPhone, you know, when it does the face ID. So it's actually right. uh, with the front facing camera, it's, it's, it's a different camera. So it's focused just on your face, but that technology to identify a face, it's, it's creating a point, you know, it's sensing the depth of features on our faces, but once it puts it on the world facing side in a stronger camera, people are going to use that to, to scan the world. And I think to me, that's going to change 3d modeling from a human based tool and using all this software to scanning and then you having software in the cloud to take all that data and as much other data information and 
create those 3D models. So today, when we use the, our scanning app, it has holes in it. You're, you're using the Face ID scanner. You're not looking at what you're scanning, so the scan's not that good. But once it's on the other side of the camera and you're seeing what you're scanning and you're walking around it, it's still going to have holes. So you're still going to need an, a human in the loop to get rid of those holes. But we also are using deep learning and machine learning because based on how many things we scan, our algorithms are going to get better and better. So the cost of 3D modeling today is the cost of number of hours an artist and using all these software tools creates. But having such power in an iPhone, it's going to change that whole workflow. And you keep touching on the machine learning part of this mm -hmm. as well. And, and I wonder if you could also explain that a, a little bit for, for listeners and, and what a huge impact that is going to have as well. Yes. So when I talk about machine learning, you know, I, I talk about the fact that we're teaching the machines how to solve a problem. And as you know, machine learning is now being used in, in so many different ways. You give it data and it, you give it the output. Uh, outcome. So once we have, you know, all these models coming in and we're saying, okay, this is, these are the holes in the model and they need to be fixed to look this way. The machine is like, you know, think of a human child who learns how to do it. So the more data we give it, the more better it becomes at solving it. So it's in our sense, if there are holes and someone hasn't scanned the model right, um, we're going to get a human to first fill those holes. But over time, the machine sitting there and all these algorithms that learn how the human's fixing based on the input that came through the scanning app to what the output looked like. So as it learns, it replaces or takes some of the time off the modeler to make the model, um, to, to complete the model, and the machine takes over and does more and more of the work itself. So that's, that's what we are building at All3D, the whole end-to-end -end pipeline of uh, scanning from an iPhone to a machine learning how to fix those holes because, you know, we already have models in our system and we're focused on homes. So we have the sample data set and then the output of where it is. But sometimes the machine may not get it, then a modeler may fix it. But to our end customers, they don't have to worry about this problem. We're going to solve for it. So so that's that's how you use machine in the loop. So and and part of what you just explained is sort of how you're going to use machine learning to sort of fill some of those holes mm -hmm. for you in the, in terms of the of the th 3D rendering and, and in terms of the the scans the uh, that yes. we're all in the model that, that we're all going to start using the question I, I'm sure is in so many people's minds listening to this is okay and when does that lead to also the machines being able to actually produce the the interior design and and when does the machine start to get able to make product selections or room color selections or all of that and so you're absolutely your right that is the future long term because if you look at even amazon today you know they recommend you products so there's machine recommending products today based on our buying history or what we have or you know so so those recommendations as you know um over time, if the machine gets better and better, it can it can actually do all those predictions as uh, as as you just outlined. So, if a designer has done a design and they're using a similar template, I think then if they're just creating a they have a template that they use for most of their designs, then I think that type of designer would should be concerned about you know machines learning faster and becoming more efficient and cost reducing but if a designer is always at the cutting edge and is always exploring new trends and is always uh, doing you know giving that specific personalized feel then the designer could be there from 100% to 20% and the machine could be helping them get to that you know 80% or 20% and I would say to you is I think the more tedious work that gets off a designer's plate, I think it gives a designer more creativity, time to think, time to create more stuff. So I think it's it's going to be machine learning for all of us is going to be beneficial because it's going to give us our time back. And for things that we like to do um, is 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 where I think the world's moving. And it may be that if your designer took, I don't know, two days to do a design, um, they could probably do it in three hours or two hours. So it frees them up to do other things. And I think that's the world we're moving towards. So I, um, I'm not worried about machine learning because from my perspective, it gives us more things to be creative, more things to do, things that we love than, than doing stuff because we have to do it for work. 
Sure, you're not worried. You're the technology evangelist, but、uh, <laughs> right. So, sure, it's great for you. But, but when you when you think back to your time at at, at Decorist, for example, and and thinking about the the designers creating those rooms, or or, or what Modsy does,、mm-hmm. or or what Havenly does, at at what Point and again, I'm just trying to sort of get a sense of a timeline.、Yeah. Can you imagine that machine learning being able to sort of put product in those rooms and 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 sort of take the place of some of those designers that they're that they're having to use right now? So I think we're probably a couple of years away, Dennis. Just to a run, couple of years. Yeah, I actually think it's going to、okay. happen a lot faster because technology, as you know, is on an exponential curve. So, and, and just to give you an example, and I don't know if Modsy uses this. I have no idea, but you know, if Modsy has you know a data set of all these designs it's been doing since beginning of time for Modsy, which is what five years. So if they have all those designs, you know, they have to tag the rooms. They have to. La- it's called a data labeling exercise. They have to data label the rooms and the products, and you know, I'm sure they have all those products in their database, and they have based on dimensions, based on sizes, style. They can label that data, so I think they can give an idea of if an incoming、um, new design comes to them and and it's lab, you know, matches something that was done before and the customer had rated or something, they could actually do this pretty quickly if, if Mozzie wanted to do it because they have all the data and they can make the machine learn pretty fast. So, but 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 you know, honestly, I don't know if they're doing it or not. But I think initial design, eighty percent of of. If you have enough data of different customers' rooms and different products in there, you could train machines pretty quickly to do it. We're taking a quick break from the show to hear more about Universal Furniture's plans for fall market. Designers Universal has an incredible lineup of more than ten events scheduled this October, from tastemaker Corey Damon Jenkins to design disruptors Lauren Clement and Christian Daw to our own editor in chief Caitlin Peterson. It's a can't-miss lineup of guests. Topics include attracting affluent clients, diversity in design, building e-commerce businesses, and communicating value. Select events will be available to groups of 35 and will be available virtually. An amazing lineup of events is all part of Universal's promise to deliver special perks to designers. Their trade program includes no order minimum, free shipping, online ordering. And dedicated custom support through the design line. To register for events, visit universalfurniture.com/slash/marketevents. And if you're shopping, save 20% off your first order of $2,000 or more by using the code TradeFall20. That's TradeFall20 at universalfurniture.com. And now, back to the show. So, moving away from fear. Yes. Right and 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 trying to to look at it the way you were describing it earlier as giving designers back time、mm-hmm. and and right and and letting them spend more time again on the actual design process, which so many designers tell us right、yes. they oh they wish they had more time to really do the design work because they're having to do all these other things, so. Again, moving away from the fear and and the machines taking over the world, <laughs> which which is going to happen, and the robots are coming, and you're making that very clear. But in the short term, this could be transformational in that you will have, in in just a couple of years, it sounds like incredibly powerful tools to 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 help you and your client visualize things in in a way that you've never been able to do. Oh,、before. absolutely. Plus. You know,、um, I I learned at Decorus that、uh, with the design process, it took the designer I don't know eight to ten hours to do the initial design, searching for products, and then you know customer feedback, and then the number of iterations that went in. So just imagine, the designer probably didn't like the iteration with the customer, you know, going through it. So maybe the machines help with that. You know what I mean? So there's stages that how the machine can help the designers. So then the designer can get more customers. And help bigger segment of the population with design, because right now what's the bottleneck is the designer's time and the ability to to be able to create these designs for the customer. So with the machines, it makes them more productive, more effective, and the things that they love doing. And I think that that creativity will not be replaced for a very long time. 
And and that's really the, the the issue there is the is the creativity the the human ingenuity and the creativity and imagination that to your earlier point is just going to have to work increasingly harder to stay ahead of what machines are going to be able to learn exactly and if, even if you look at me I'm a technology I say I'm a technology evangelist because um, <laughs> yes you know I. I also have to reinvent myself every few years, Dennis. You know what I mean? If I said, right. okay, yes. I'm just going to stay and do the same thing, then I don't know where I would have been. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> and my life has been from internet technology, from DSL and you know optical networking to venture capital to digital media to I ended up in the home space, you know? <laughs> I didn't know much about the home five years ago or six years ago. So if you look at it, I think that's what it is. You can't fear what's coming. You have to um, say, I'm going to adapt and I'm going to grow and I'm going to learn. Uh, and, and that's what we all have to be. And, that, and we have to be more creative. We have to be more curious. And we have to throw ourselves in things and learn and see how we're better than, you know, a computer. You mentioned earlier that Back at Bed Bath and Beyond, you were you were experimenting with using three D rendering instead of photography yes. and sort of get getting a sense. So, what did you what did you learn during during that time? And and is three D rendering really a, a good substitute for for photography? Or or what what are some of the differences? What can you do with three D rendering, or what can you do with photography that you can't do with the other? Okay, so Bed Bath and Beyond was a very interesting experience for me. I was I was given <laughs> a lot of freedom to go and explore and learn and and come up with ways of doing things, um, and. It was interesting because, you know, Bed Bath had a photography department and they had all these processes of how to create catalogs. And um, it's, it's interesting, the mindset of people. And I think that's the innovator's dilemma always. Mm. When new technology comes on the horizon, you know, uh, people who don't have access to large photo shoots, who don't have uh, photographers and the big budgets, um, it will take them a little longer to do um, to replace, you know, photography budgets with with 3D rendering. But you know, it was very interesting. I could take a catalog photo and replicate it as to be just as hyper or photorealistic as the catalog photo shoot. Today, doing human is very hard. You know what I mean? Fur mm -hmm. is very hard, but it's getting there. So there's few things that you couldn't do from rendering. But looking at the Bed Bath catalog, we could do 95% of it with 3D. Really? Yes. Well, and, and, and getting back to what all 3D... At 10th of the cost, by the way. So, and then, well, as I said, that, you know, over time, those assets are reusable all the time. So if you, you created a studio, it exists in your database. So you could reuse that studio. You can change the lighting in the studio. You can change the wall color, the flooring. And so your next studio wouldn't cost you fifteen thousand dollars to make; it would cost you two hundred, three hundred. So, so that's that's that's. There's also this ability of creating your digital assets, that you know, the, your next version of that is extremely cheap with all well, digital. It's still just how digital is, as you know. Well, well, e exactly. And and is that part of what companies should be thinking about today, when when they're all sort of scurrying to try and figure out how to lean more in the digital direction as a result of yes, this yes. crazy, right? So, totally. So, so how should they be thinking about this? And you, you just mentioned how dramatically it could potentially bring down costs for them. That's going to be a big motivator, but how should they be thinking about this? So um, actually, one of my really good mentors told me that some cost doesn't drive people. You know what I mean? All companies don't want to reduce their costs. They want to increase their revenue. So let's take it from that perspective. Great point. Um, let's say a perfect example is, you know, home office. So before, you know, people were se selling a chair to, you know, in the office catalog or website on the office website. And suddenly COVID happened. And, you know, uh, you want to market home. So, you know, if you had a, a, a library of home-based spaces that you had digitized and 3D modeled and you had all your assets and stuff, you, it would take you 30 minutes to create an image. It would just first putting tagging a room with all your chairs and props and then render an image. And you could market that image in your email campaign immediately. So not only that, you have different ways of launching your products, 
doing different representation, marketing it on social media, email campaign, website. So it gives you the flexibility to be able to customize your, your, your visualization or your asset based on your customer type, which you couldn't do if you were always planning a photo shoot. So, so, so again, it, it, it doesn't sound great for the photographers, right? <laughs> right? <laughs> that really doesn't sound good for the photographers. Yeah, okay. So moving on from that, who's, who are you coming after? Who's your competition now in this, in this space? Who, who, who are you trying to take business away? You mentioned earlier Modsy's doing something sort of, sort of different. Who are, who are the players that are, that are in this space that you're, that you're hoping to, to be able to compete with and, and, and produce a better product and maybe a less expensive product? So, so, so Dennis, I don't, so, yeah, so you don't have any competition. Don't tell me that. No, 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 no. I am fundraising and I have this competitive slide that's ginormous. Okay. 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 So, so tell and me I, about that slide. So I'm, I, 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 um, I say to all the investors that, you know, there's because being a, an investor early on in life, I, I, I understand the cockroach theory that, um, there are so many, comp- if there's a market, there are so many competitors out there that right. sometimes when you turn the light on, you don't even see them. But when you turn the <laughs> light off, they're like cockroaches. <laughs> so, 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 so having competition is good. It's really good because that means there's a market there. If you have no competitors, then, you know, there's no market. So, so I would say there's, a, there's you know, all these fragmented agencies that do 3D modeling and then uh, provide services and charge a lot, you know, that are out there. And, um, but I view ourselves as Shopify of 3D. You know, as everyone went online, people used to hire developers to do their website. You know, they did all that soup to nuts. Then you had to learn about SEO. You had to learn about all these other pieces. So, so I think of us being a uh, Shopify for 3D, where we want to be able to give brands, manufacturers, retailers the tools to be able to leash, unleash their creativity so that we take all the, the technology issues and solve them as a self-service platform. But I, uh, and that's what we're doing. And, and in the market, there's lots of competition, but no one's trying to do what we are trying to do. And again, it's about positioning. We're also betting on the new technology that's hitting the market, the new standards that Apple and Google are, are, um, are creating and launching. So, so it's a, and of course we'll have our own intellectual property as we know, we learn more and develop more, um, uh, so, you know, we will file patents and do all the rest as most startups do. Um, but I think our key is that we want to offer hyper-realistic and disruptive pricing by using uh, automation, depth scanning, and machine learning. And and that's part of what should get people excited, is it, as, as you've been saying throughout this conversation, that the prices of all of this are coming down. Yes. Right? And, and yep. it's going to be so accessible. And we, we didn't even touch on 5G, which is soon going to, to make all of these huge files travel so much more quickly than, exactly. than they currently do, right? Exactly. And, and, and 5G realistically is, is how far away do you think in, in terms so, of it being a meaningful? So, so you, you hit the nail on it. 5G is, I, I will say it's just around the corner. You know, I started okay. in telecom. So I used to work for a company called Lucent Technologies in New Jersey after my MBA. Oh, for my a goodness. Year. Lucent. In Bell Labs, right. actually. Bell Labs. Oh, my God. I was, I, I was actually, you, you will laugh. Mm. <laughs> I, was, uh, I was innovating in Bell Labs, trying to launch an operating system. That was my first job oh my out goodness. of my business school. So. Wow. So you can see, you know, how much you have I've been worked. at this. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, so, um, um, so, so, you know, uh, networking is always ahead of applications when I was in the networking industry. So I think at, they, they will deploy pretty fast and, and we're going to see around the, but you're absolutely right. 3d modeling will, um, uh, it speed up the deployment, and it's it's really interesting that you know companies like Verizon and others. It, this is one of their applications because if you look at a three D model that is used to 
replace photography. It's in 200, you know, megabytes to a gigabyte. And when you view a product in your room using your iPhone, it needs to be less than 10 megabyte. So um, one of the things is, how do you do that? How do you make a model that it's it can be used in all different devices and all different uh, places? Well, we we are use, developing a technology that can downscale your model based on when it's accessed by a different device. So for a consumer, it's quick, just like um, you know the websites. You know, you it's it needs to be intuitive, it needs to be immersive, and it also needs to be able to work on mobile. So that's happening in the 3D modeling world too. But the more, but with 3D models, the, the more faster it's bandwidth, the more quickly you can download, the more realistic it looks. So, you know, I, so people want to see, so currently when you use view in my room, even Wayfair application or house, you'll see that the models look still, they're not that good. You know what I mean? They're not <laughs> extremely realistic. It's because right. you have to have them less than 10 megs. So over time, as bandwidth increases, things are going to become more and more real and and exactly how the physical thing looks like. So, so all of this is coming together, and um, the future is going to be very technology focused. And you know, we're going to have access to a lot of things on our phone, and that's what all three D is betting on the phone. Well, so uh, again, to 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 make our audience a, a little less frightened about all of this, the the things that you really imagine these tools making possible, besides giving people back their their time, is is really what? Control. It's giving them control, giving them more freedom to do other things. So for Skyline, you know, just a perfect example, they would create a physical sample, take a photograph, put it on Wayfair. Um, you know, I, and, and I don't even know this. I'm just giving you as an example. Right, Wayfair sure. Buyers would then put the images on the website to see if it's sold or not, or the buyer may like it or not at a trade show. Now Skyline doesn't even have to waste time making that that product. And they will know whether the customers want it, whether the, their retailers want it, what the end consumers are doing it. So you can see that whole thing. Now you don't waste physical stuff. You are actually not doing the travel costs. You are, um, it, it, you know, you're, you're creating stuff that they want to create, which for their business will generate them revenue and low return rates. If you're a designer, you'll use the tools to visualize to your customer so your customer's happy when they actually see your new designs in their actual room. You know what I mean? Before they even spend a dollar on, 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 on buying the stuffs for their house. So I think there's so many ways of solving these problems that technology is going to help us reduce waste, uh, give us our time back. So, so to me, 3D is extremely green. <laughs> <laughs> Just another positive benefit of 3D technology, <laughs> helping the environment too. Now, yeah. Dennis, technology should not scare anyone, you know? It should, should give them stuff and time back and what they really love doing and not doing the stuff they don't want to do. Well, and, and I hope that, that, that people will, will hear that message. Uh, obviously, it, it is unsettling and it, it, there are going to be a, a lot of changes and, and certainly there is going to be disruption. And uh, again, I I want to think of what else those incredibly talented photographers can do. Um, I, I want to get on that right away, uh, retraining them for something. Um, but uh, but but the industry itself, uh, there, it's it's a combination, right? So incredible yes. tools are coming. Time is coming back. Perhaps the time to be even even more creative and and freed up, uh, but also being aware that uh, it, it's going to be disruptive. But it's it's just around the corner is is what you're telling us and yes. it's 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 incredibly exciting if you're a technology evangelist like you it's exciting for all of us <laughs> and i'm sure the photographers will figure out what they 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 can be creative at because they are also very creative people they so. they are artists as well and they exactly. will they they will reinvent i am sure amra exactly. such a pleasure i could talk to you all day thank you so much for for making the time Thank you, Dennis. Appreciate it. I really appreciate it as well, and I hope to get to talk to you again soon. Take care. Good luck. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to keep up with the latest design industry news, please visit us at businessofhome.com. If you'd like to share feedback or get in touch, email podcast at businessofhome.com. This show was produced by Fred Nicholas and Marina Felix. I'm Dennis Scully. Stay safe. 
and healthy, and I'll see you next week.